So please open your Bible to 1 Peter. Open your Bible app to the first letter written by Peter. And the passage we're dealing with today is about living as the people of God, living a life full of hope and full of promise and full of faith. And in the passage that Alan dealt with just last Sunday in the midst of the storm, he talked about being born and raised in the gospel. And so stealing a little bit from his message last week, Peter says, first of all, we are children in the same family. And that's kind of what, what, what Alan was talking about to some extent. We're children in the same family. Uh, those who are born in the gospel and raised in the gospel are children who are in the same family. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So these verses tell us that if we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, then we have experienced, uh, we've experienced the same birth, uh, we express the same love, and we enjoy the same nourishment as members of the same spiritual family. Uh, and then he goes on to say in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So, born and raised in the gospel. We need to grow up into this great salvation that God has given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So, uh, the new birth is wonderful. The, being born again is a miracle of God. But it doesn't stop there. <laughs> That's actually where the spiritual life just begins. You're just getting started. You've just been born anew, spiritually. We need to mature and develop in this faith, in this salvation born and raised in the gospel. We need to grow up into salvation. So, having a daily quiet time will help that. Uh, reading the Bible on a regular, if not daily basis, will, will help that, will, will help nourish your, your growth in, and your faith. Uh, taking part in a small group or attending a, a weekly Bible study will help you grow up in your salvation coming to church and digging deep with us into the Word of God and, and praying with, with passion and, and entering into fellowship with, with other brothers and sisters will help you grow up in your salvation and find your place in the family of God. And then Peter goes on to describe this amazing effect of being part of the family of God, part of the church of Jesus Christ this supernatural phenomenon. And he says, we're also stones in the same building. We're not only children in the same family, but we're stones in the same building. He uses some interesting word pictures. But, you know, a lot of Christians really look like they're stones in a building, in a worship service. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they look like stones. <laughs> They don't look stone, they look like stones, you know. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, 
You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, Peter says, because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter says, in effect, in these verses, that as you come to him, as you come to Jesus by faith, remember that he is the living stone who was completely and totally rejected by men, but he's precious and treasured by God the Father. He's a living stone because, remember, he came out of the grave alive and he was raised from the dead in victory. He's the chosen one, the chosen stone, because as far back as the plan of salvation goes in the mind and heart of God, from eternity to eternity, Jesus was always the one who would come as the Lamb of God and take away the sin of the world. So he's precious because of that. And he's also the uh, precious cornerstone because, or precious stone rather, because he was appointed as the chief cornerstone. And in in him, and only in him, does the whole church fit together and and join together in Christ. So he's a living stone, he's a chosen stone, he's a precious stone, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter summarizes in chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 6. And so for all of those reasons, we too should, should treasure Jesus above everything else. We should treasure Christ above everyone else. He is the, he's the summit, he's the apex, he's the goal of our faith. Peter quotes Isaiah 28 in one of the Psalms, 118, in his description of Jesus, and points out that Jesus, though chosen by God, was completely rejected by the Jews because they, did not diso- they would not obey the word, they would not follow the scripture. But true believers in Jesus are living stones in his building. And every time someone puts their trust and faith in Jesus, another stone is quarried out of the pit of sin and it's cemented by grace into this building, which is the church of God. And let's not forget that Peter wrote this letter to the believers in five different provinces in Asia Minor. And yet he says, we're all part of one building. Huh. Well, how do you get that? I mean, these people live in different places. How can we? So he's talking about the unity of God's people. The unity of God's people that transcends all local and individual assemblies or, or churches. This thing that we have in Christ transcends even denominational distinctives and differences. And next weekend in this special service that we have planned for the grand opening and our dedication service, you will witness people coming from a wide range of backgrounds. We'll have pastors here from Toronto and there'll be 
pastors here from Detroit, and there'll be pastors here uh, from Windsor, pastors from the Baptist church, and people from the Baptist church, and people from the Presbyterian church, and people from the Evangelical Free Church. And Why? Well, I don't know, but the Bible says we're all stones in the same building. Isn't that a great thing? It's a great thing to be part of a, to be a stone. Not look like a stone, but to be a stone in that building called the church. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't important doctrinal distinctives. I, I, I tend to be one of those people that believes that the, some of those doctrinal distinctives are important. And, and even some of the do, denominational distinctives are important. But it, it, it also means that we must not permit our differences to destroy the unity that we enjoy with other stones, with other people who are cemented by grace into the building that's called the church. We can't let those things destroy our, our unity and our fellowship. We are stones in the same building. Furthermore, according to Peter, we're also priests in the same temple. I mean, he's just mixing all these word pictures and metaphors here. It's giving us such a rich picture of what the church is. We're, we're children in the same family. We're, we're stones in the same building. We're priests in the same temple. And he says in verse 5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, you're a chosen race or chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I love that phrase. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, now in the Old Testament, God's people had a priesthood. In the New Testament and in today... God's people are the priesthood. And there's a huge difference between that. Each and every individual believer has the privilege of coming into the presence of God himself or herself to, to seek mercy and to seek grace in a time of need. We have, that, we have that ability, we have that privilege of coming into the presence of God ourselves. We don't need a, a human mediator we don't need someone on earth to go to God for us. Like in the Old Testament when the priest went into the, to the tabernacle and into the Holy of Holies representing the people. There is only one mediator between God and man and that's the mediator whose name is Jesus. He's the only one who can act as a mediator for us now. And because he's alive in glory, interceding for us, and because the Holy Spirit of God has, has equipped each and every believer with a spiritual gift, and because we, we have been called to be a priesthood, we have the privilege of, of ministering in His name as a holy, royal priesthood. Woohoo! So you are all priests today. And every day that you live in Christ... You're a member of the royal priesthood. As priests in the same temple, as priests in the same church, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices to God 
through Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? That just sounds like a bunch of preacher jumble stuff. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, I, I think it means that our lives, our lives literally should be lived as though each and every one of us was a priest. Coming into the presence of God to serve him. That's the first job. Coming into the presence of God to serve others. To represent others, to pray for my family, to pray for my church, to pray for my Jamie, to serve as a priest. The priests of the Old Testament period had many different duties to perform, and they each had a specific role to play, but they all functioned under the the direction or supervision or shepherding of the great high priest or the, the high priest of the time. And just so like today, we also function uh, under the great high priest. We're priests who live and function and minister and, minister and, and care for our flocks, our families at home, and others that God has put into our care, taking all of our cues from the great high priest. Every ministry that we enter into is for his glory, and every one of us has a role to play. You know, and when it comes to winning games, most professional sports teams are very eager to stack their teams with the very best players they can find or afford. And the, usual, the second one is usually plays a pretty big part. But everybody wants a team of stars. Are you listening, Toronto Maple Leafs? Everyone wants a team of stars. But a new research study that was published in a magazine called Psychological Science argues that too many talented players on a team can actually end up hurting the team. Hurts the team's overall performance. The research study is titled The Too Much Talent Effect. So you got too much talent on a team, it could work uh, against you rather than work for you. And so when the researchers analyzed the professional sports teams, especially basketball and soccer, they discovered that talented players do help teams win, but only up to a point. The teams loaded with all-star players uh, discovered that, uh, well, all-star players were too consumed with their averages and their numbers and not the overall performance of the team. Star-studded basketball teams had less assists and less rebounds than teams that were populated by more average or moderate uh, all-star players. The research concluded, when teams need to come together... More talent can tear them apart. An article summarizing the study observed. Why is too much talent a bad thing? Think teamwork. In many endeavors, success requires team effort towards a goal that is beyond the capability of any one individual. When a team roster is flooded with individual talent, pursuit of personal star status may prevent the attainment of team goals. The basketball player chasing a point record, for example, may cost the team by taking risky shots instead of passing to a teammate. How true it is. We saw some of those games recently on TV. But ministry in the church requires team effort also. And I don't think there are are any all-star Christians among us who can do it all by themselves. We need each other. 
We're part of the royal priesthood. Everybody's got a role. Everybody's got a part. Everybody's got a gift. Everybody's got a ministry. Everybody's got a service. We're in this together. This is a royal priesthood, not a one-man show. We're in this together. We're the royal priesthood, serving God and serving one another for the sake of the kingdom. 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. But remember what it said in the report. Success requires team effort towards a goal that is beyond the capability of any one individual. And that's right where we live. Because in planting a church... And growing a church and, 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 and sharing our faith and, and hopefully winning more people to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, that mission, that goal is far beyond the capability of any one individual. It's going to take all of us working together to make this work. Do you believe that? It's going to take all of us to do this. The church requires team effort. A little bit later in his letter, Peter will write these words to the churches in Asia Minor. He'll say in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves coffee, they should do so... Oh, it doesn't say that, but... That's immediately what I think of, you know. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Not the servant, not the individual, not the pastor, not the elder, not the ser- but that, that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Again, that's the goal. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. So each one of us should use whatever spiritual gift we have to serve Jesus. We've all got one, so let's get serving. And finally, Peter points out that we're also partners in the same enterprise. Children in the same family, stones in the same building, priests in the same temple, and partners in the same enterprise. Verses 9 and 10. You're a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now you have received mercy. We're partners in the same enterprise. (laughs) God's church. Once we were not a people, we were not people of faith. We were not related to God through faith in Jesus Christ. We had not received uh, salvific grace into our lives by faith. So once we were not part of the church, but now we are. We've received mercy. And because of that, we've been chosen by God and we've been saved by grace. And we're part of the family. We're part of the holy nation. We're part of the church. We're part of this enterprise called the church of Jesus Christ. We've been adopted into God's family. I remember standing in the line at the Royal Bank one time. At the time, I was writing a weekly article for the local newspaper, and I'd just written an article on adoption and was just talking about 
Ephesians 1.5. I, I love this text. Can we have it up, please? Ephesians 1.5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I was waxing eloquent in this article about the, the magnificence of adoption and, and told the story and said that it was out of my experience and I really didn't have a lot of personal knowledge about being adopted other than being adopted by my father and kind of dropped a rhetorical question at the end of the article and left it there. It was supposed to be a cliffhanger, you know, not a question that, that somebody answers. That's what rhetorical means, just makes you think. So there I was standing in line at the bank a couple days after the article got published and uh, they always published the article with a little picture of mine beside it, so... Paddock always said to me, honey, be careful how you drive because people will recognize you from the paper. Well, I wasn't driving. I was standing in line at the bank, but very impatiently, mind you. It's the only time in my life I've ever been impatient. I was standing in line at the bank very impatiently, kind of muttering under my breath, you've got to be kidding me. Don't they have another teller? When this lady taps me on the shoulder and says, aren't you Pastor Lino? <laughs> I wanted to say, no, I'm not, but had to confess that I was, and stood there for almost 10 minutes as she answered the rhetorical question in the article. I just wanted to comment about your, your, your article on adoption. I'm adopted, and she began to tell me what it was like to be adopted, and then she began to cry and said, but then I was adopted by my heavenly father, and I can't tell you how that changed my life. You see, we've been adopted too. And a woman named Joyce traveled to an orphanage not long ago in Ukraine, and it was there that she saw two-year-old Kristen. Kristen's beautiful blue eyes framed the edges of a facial tumor called a hemangioma. But even that could not hide her impish grin, according to Joyce. Kristen's eyes were so alert, and I could just tell she was full of it, said Joyce. There was something special that this tumor could not hide. She said, I could have taken home any of the children in that orphanage, any one of them. At the same time, I knew if I adopted Kristen that uh, she'd have more than a new start, she'd have a new life. One expert says most Ukrainian families are afraid to take a child of any with any disability Mothers take them to the orphanage or abandon them in a public park. They just leave them there and walk away. But see, Joyce chose Kristen. Even with the facial tumor, she wanted her. She chose her in spite of her deficiency, in spite of her abnormality, in spite of her disability. She chose Kristen. And a little while later, the doctors in the United States were able to perform surgery and remove the facial tumor. And the thin scars are healing, and everything about Christian has changed dramatically. And she chatters constantly, telling her mother over and over and over and over and over again, like three-year-olds or four-year-olds can do, I love you, Mommy. I love you. I love you, Mommy. I love you. Well... In a similar way, when we were still very unlovely, 
when our soul was full of tumors, ugly stuff, cancer of the soul. God saw us just the way we were. And He loved us. And He chose us to be part of His own family. And He brought us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what He wanted to do. It wasn't something He had to do. He chooses us of His own free will. There's nothing in us that demands God chooses us or makes God choose us. He he wanted to do it. And the Bible says that my adoption and your adoption in Christ gave him great pleasure. That's amazing. God chose us, and he made us a royal priesthood. He's making us into a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, once we were lost and lonely, once we were separated from God, once we lived apart from grace, once we had no mercy in our lives, but now, oh, now, whoo, now, now we are the people of God. Amen? We're, we're God's own people. We're His fam jam. We belong to him. And what's better, he belongs to us. Thanks be to God for his immeasurable, unbounding grace, which caused us to be born again to a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, we are absolutely and totally astounded at the grace that has been poured into our lives. Thank you. So our our heart's desire this morning, our prayer, is that you would continue to make us into a holy nation. Continue to, to sanctify us. To set us apart that we might be your own people, your chosen people, living lives that are different from the nations of people around us who don't know Jesus. Oh God, continue to set us apart. Even when that that includes tough stuff, like Alan and Shelley were sharing about this morning. Even when it's difficult, we pray that you would continue the good work that you have started in us. And in our church. Oh how I thank you and praise you for the gathering today Lord. Thank you for this amazing church family. And we thank you too for the the many new faces we see today. Guests, visitors, 
people who are just checking it out. Would you draw them with the same resurrection power that you drew us? Would you see to it that the, the wounded and brokenhearted are healed? Would you, would you continue to call men and women and boys and girls to faith in Jesus Christ by your grace? Oh God, do something new and fresh in us this very moment. Give us a heart of praise. Turn our attitudes around so that we have an attitude of gratitude and make the choice to rejoice today in Christ Jesus. Not paying too much attention to our circumstances, but finding our joy in Jesus. And fill your people, fill our flock here with hope. This is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.